about these audiophiles. Checking for some audiophiles. Man, this sounds audiophile quality. Yes, the smoothness. The, the smoothness. Wow, you must have spent a lot of money on these microphones. This episode was produced by Mutt Lang. <laughs> it's not pronounced Lange. It might be Lange. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. God damn it. I just screwed up the very first line of the intro. Because <laughs> <laughs> Robert Mutt Lange. Lange. It's Lange. It's Shays Lange. Shays, 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 Robert Shays Lange. Okay. Robert John Mutt Lang began his career in music production in the early 70s. After a few years working with obscure bands, he wound up getting hired to work on the massive hit album Highway to Hell by ACDC. He followed this with Back in Black. He would go on to be one of the most successful producers of the 80s, working with bands such as The Cars, Def Leppard, Brian Adams, Foreigner, and Billy Ocean. Yet his biggest success would arrive later in his career after meeting country singer and soon-to-be wife Shania Twain. At this time, country music was finding its way into the mainstream through artists like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson. Shania became the queen of country almost overnight. It is hard to overstate her level of success. Working as a songwriting team, she, along with her husband, ushered in a country sound with a pop rock edge. The result was Come On Over, an album that spent almost three years on the Billboard 200 and a full year at number one on the country charts. It is an album that seemed to just gain momentum as singles kept being released. 12 of its 16 tracks were released as singles. In 1999, two years after the album's release, man, I feel like a woman hit the airwaves. The rest is history. Today on Hidden Jukebox, well, you know. So so it seems like there's a lot of commonality between Come On Over and Back in Black because it's, there are two albums where like everybody knows every song on the album, right? I, I honestly I honestly thought you were gonna say it. There are two albums with three words in the name. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, a lot of commonality there. Yeah, okay. Right. The title's very similar. <laughs> That's how they came up with Come On Over. Okay, so I I think I wanted to do this song. I don't totally remember why I said that. Um, but I think I think we've got a lot to talk about here. It's interesting because I'm kind of assuming here we feel a little bit differently about why neither of us love this song. Sure. But I think that neither of us love this song. And yet I also feel like we're going to have more to talk about on this episode than we have about any other song in a while. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think the reason we're doing it is because Shania Twain was like arguably the most popular pop artist of the nineties. Uh, not even arguably. Yeah. The, let's see somewhere in the, Pages and pages of notes. I mean, I think this album sold over 40 million. Is that possible? This album did sell over 40 million copies worldwide. I want to put that in perspective here. Yeah. Basically, one out of every 10 people, not households, in the United States owned a copy of this album. Okay. That is almost unfathomable. That is insane how do you think that, that compares reach. to the ratio of people in the u.s who listen to our podcast um well we've got about uh one percent of the market for two dudes in their 40s who talk about 90s music i think i think one percent might be an exaggeration yeah, there you go. pretty good <laughs> um it's the biggest selling album ever by a female artist 
She's also the biggest selling country artist of all time. Mm -hmm. She won Best Female Country Vocal Performance in 1999 and 2000 for songs from this album. This is the best selling albums of the nine of the nineties, yep. which I incorrectly stated that the black album by Metallica yeah, was. That was the best selling rock album of the nineties. It was because the bodyguard soundtrack also outsold yep. the black album. Um, like I said in the intro, it is impossible to overstate how big this album was. Yeah. Um, uh, like, it, I mean, to the extent that like I could sing along with most of the songs on this album, even though this is a genre that I have no interest in. So this is one of the first things that I wanted to talk about is I not being a country fan at all felt like Shania Twain somewhat came out of nowhere. But Netflix recently released an hour and a half documentary. About right. Her. You mentioned this. I have not watched it. Tell me about it. It's really good. Um, and I learned a lot about her that I didn't know. One is that her parents threw her through her is the wrong term, allowed her to start singing bars when she was not even a teenager. So she started really early on and there are videos of her and she had a phenomenal voice oh, yeah, fr sure. from the get go. Um, the album that came out before this, which God damn it! What's the name of it? Oh, oh! Ah, I was I was reading about this this morning. The Woman in Me. Thank you. The Woman in Me was really a country album. It mm -hmm. was it was not. They were not trying to do this pop crossover thing yet. So I'm like, you know, this was her big breakthrough. Even though it was her third album, The Woman in Me sold 12 million copies. Did I mean were most of those before this album came out or like were people going like back and oh, buying the whole catalog? Most of them were before okay. this album came out. Like it charted huge. The thing is it didn't have worldwide uh, appeal like this album did. Right. One of the most interesting things that I learned about this album and the following album up, which I didn't even know that I'm not sure anybody else has done this. Mutt Lang went back after they finished recording it and either changed production, order of songs, or even instrumental recording of 70% of the tracks and marketed these albums for different regions of the world. I think that still happens. Like, you know, you, you see this sometimes, like, you know, if you if you look up an album on Wikipedia, it'll say, like, you know, and the Japanese release subbed out these songs for these songs. Yeah, but it's like a little bit. I've never yeah. heard of re-recording parts of an album to try and make it more marketable to different yeah. regions. But whatever they did, it clearly worked because she sold... 40 million copies and right. that was not just in the United States. One of the other things I learned is she did not even tour for the woman in me, even though it sold 12 million copies. So her first major tour was for this album and she toured for like a year and a half, almost <laughs> two years behind this and went all over the world and played for absolutely massive audiences. Sure. Now I have a question. Is Shania Twain the first Canadian artist we've done on this show? I looked back at the list and couldn't <sighs> find another obvious one. Isn't I, that weird? That That is weird. And of all people, our mother pointed out to me this morning, I was mentioning it's hard to quantify whether somebody has been as successful in, in <laughs> I you were going to say it's hard to quantify whether someone is Canadian. <laughs> that, that, that's not. Um, <laughs> If somebody's been as successful because people don't really sell albums anymore like they did with this. But right. I can say that the most successful recording artist of the 2000s is Drake, 
who also happens to be Canadian. Wait, of the of like the from 2000 to the present? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that 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 seems right. Yeah, but he hasn't sold as many albums because people don't But they really they do sell. like, you know, equivalent like streaming sale equivalents right. or something. Right. And and I haven't looked up Drake on uh on Spotify, but I'm sure that he has songs with a billion listens. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Also Canadian. So the Canadians must be doing something right since they're uh outpacing most American artists. Yeah. So interestingly, I don't think like if Mutt Lang were like, you know, producing like an up and coming country pop crossover album today, he would not have to do that uh, uh, to like remix the album for an international audience because American country music was not very popular outside North America at the time this album came out, but has since become very popular. Right. Which that's kind of on the back of people like Taylor Swift where, you know, she she probably crossed over with one of her more pop albums, yep. but she was, she is such a popular artist that even people worldwide probably went back and said, I've got to listen to all of her stuff. I'm absolutely a, what do they call her fans? Swifties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mutt Lang, as I was mentioning, was really a rock guy before this album. Yeah. Did he produce Def Leppard hysteria? Uh, he did. Um, he also man. produced Def Leppard Pyromania and Def Leppard High and Dry. Yeah. Well, Hysteria, like for quite a while, was my favorite album. It's still one of the it's best. very good. It's <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Like you go back and listen and you're you're just like, this is so good. Um, he also produced Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian <laughs> yeah, Adams. Sure. So he really was like behind two of the biggest songs of the 90s. Yeah. But like by far the biggest songs of the 90s. Let's talk about this song for a minute. Okay, yeah. Or a few minutes for that matter. Yeah. Uh, It's got a pretty normal form, like intro, verse. It's got a pre-chorus. The best thing about being a woman. Uh, Chorus, break, verse, chorus, etc. The chorus of this song... I noticed this too. ...is so... Weird, And I've known for years that it's weird, but I've never really broken down and analyzed it. And we are going to go into full nerd mode as we do on this show sometimes. It's 16 bars. 16 yep. bars is a normal, normal, chorus, normal length. chorus length. Um, But it's broken up into these weird combos. It, from from what I can tell, and it's hard to, to really say whether this is right. It's like a five bar phrase a two-bar phrase, a five-bar phrase, a three-bar phrase, and then a one-bar break, man, I feel like a woman. Mm -hmm. And that one-bar break is kind of free where it's like five or six beats. Would you describe it as rubato? No. (laughs) No, I would not at all. (laughs) Um, Yes. So, and also, like, uh, do you you think um, the the song um, uh, Fell in Love with a Girl by White Stripes was was inspired by this song? (laughs) Because there's a part part where all the instruments drop out for exactly one line. I I would never, ever put those on the same list. No. (laughs) I I know there are a bunch of other songs that do this, but I can't think of any other ones right off the top of my head. Why do you always put me on the spot like this? Like, oh, yeah, (laughs) there's there's a hundred songs and I can't name a single one. Yep. Um, So... I don't know why why this chorus works so well, but you you made a point here about how this is kind of one of these songs where you go to a karaoke bar 
and you will always hear somebody singing. Oh this yeah, song. I want to I want to get into this because like I think this is like fundamental to understanding the song. So like you know the music theory. Yeah, I think it is an interesting chorus. You know because of the structure, like it uh, you know kind of keeps you guessing and it moves in interesting ways and like has like forward momentum and blah 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 blah. But so you said you said uh, like that this song isn't for you and you feel like it's because of the like the perspective embedded in the song and I I think you're wrong it starts with the line let's go girls but okay but like you know i've been really enjoying the new megan the stallion album and like you know there's like she doesn't say let's go girls but you know it's it's a a lot of you know female empowerment tracks that were like you know not written with me in mind but that doesn't like get in interfere with me enjoying them at all okay but like wap wap whatever you want to call it Yes, it's supposed to be women empowerment. It is a woman empowerment song, but you can also listen to that as a guy and go, oh man, this is dirty. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> right. But like there are, you know, there, there are songs like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with Megan the Stallion as an example. Like, you know, she has plenty of songs that like, you know, nod to the male gaze and then also some that don't. Um, and, G-A-Y-S or G-A-Z-E? G-A-Z-E. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think... I think you you and I are like perfectly empathetic enough to uh, you know be able to like get inside like a song sung from a female perspective uh, with a female audience in mind and enjoy that song. I, I, I don't think that's what's getting in the way of your enjoyment of this song. No, and I'm I'm not even saying that I don't enjoy this song. I would not pick it as something to put on if I was at a bar. Or like driving by myself in the car or if I'm listening to like the radio and it comes on, I'm not going to be like, oh, turn this one up. Right. Okay. So let's get into that because last week I was on a uh, retreat for my for my office in Palm Springs um, and uh, we had a karaoke night, which was great. And uh, I sang Careless Whisper and I crushed it. Nice. Uh And when one of my co- – so the, the most popular genre that people chose for karaoke, pop country. Like, a lot of country music fans uh, where I work, and, like, you know, it's not something I ever put on at home. And yet, these songs are, like, made for that context. And, like, a lot of the music we do on this show, like, you know, uh, Super Unknown or, like, a Radiohead song, like, those are those are songs that are made to enjoy in your basement, like, you know, feeling like, you know, what do I do with my life? And they, you know, they work great in that context, and, uh, you know— this these songs are not made for that context. These songs are made for like, you know, kicking it with your friends and drinking at a bar, totally. which is something that I rarely do. And suddenly I found myself, you know, with like, you know, 50 of my friends like doing karaoke and like drinking margaritas in a conference room. And my friend Rachel, <laughs> who is from Chicago, got up and did the song Redneck Woman by Gretchen Wilson. Wait, you guys weren't at a bar. You were doing karaoke oh, in a, it conference, was a conference room. room. Yeah. Um, and like it was one of the best karaoke performances I've ever seen. That's a um, great song. It's a great song. It's a better song than Man I Feel Like a Woman and that's Agreed. part of it. But I mean someone else did a Shania song. Um but the point is like you know the fact that I'm not going to like listen to this song alone in my basement like doesn't mean I'm not going to get excited when it comes on in the context that it was made for. Right. If somebody got up and did Paranoid Android at a bar for karaoke I wouldn't even be curious to see if they know all the lyrics or sound good. I would probably use it as a bathroom song. Right. Someone did do Creep at, at karaoke. That's, did a good de- job. that's yeah. definitely that's a, a better a better <laughs> choice than the six-minute uh, epic that is 
paranoid android. Yeah. Um, you talked about this like fast food, and I really yeah. liked this analogy. Um, like I don't want to eat fast food every day, but damn, going out for Taco Bell with my friends rules. This is funny because I don't ever eat fast food with my girlfriend, but um, whenever she leaves, and she went to Arizona for a conference this week, the first thing I do is I order Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because I still absolutely love it. Is there better food out there? Yes, of course. Taco Bell is extremely easy to like. It's yeah. something people can agree on. Yeah. Why don't you read the uh, what the AV Club said about this song? Oh, and this, then we can kind of pick this it was apart. Fu- this was funny, and and yes, I I didn't uh, put this in here because I agree with it necessarily, but clearly there are people with strong opinions about this too. So AV Club said this: the boilerplate. Let's let our hair down and go crazy. Rah rah message of Shania Twain's 1997 hit "Man, I Feel Like a Woman" is so bland and un- un- uninspired. It's practically non-existent. It's basically a jingle for lady razors extended over three and a half minutes. The fact that Twain's version of female re- rebellion involves coloring her hair, talking loudly, and going out dancing with her friends raises the question of what sort of imaginary Victorian era standards she thinks she's rebelling against. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's all legitimate. Like, you know, it is kind of a dumb song, but... It's, you know, when I hear that that critique, it's like I'm, you know, reading like someone tiresome saying, you know, fast food, it's bad for you. And it doesn't taste as good as food made from the heart with love. And like, yeah, th- those things are true, but you're kind of missing the point about what fast food is for. Do, do you go to a baseball game and go, well, I'm not going to eat a hot dog because I'm above that. Right. Um, and, and do you go to a baseball game and be like, they haven't made any baskets yet. <laughs> Some people do, and you would fall under that category for <laughs> damn sure. No, I watched I watched uh, the the League of Their Own show, and now I'm a huge baseball fan. Oh, okay, I haven't watched it yet. It's great. Um, so so I don't. I also don't think that Shania Twain wrote this song like it was supposed to be a piece of art, or. I'm not even sure she wrote this like this was supposed to be the anthem for women everywhere. No, and in fact, like she said some some problematic things about the song about how like I'm not a feminist, I just like to have fun. Um and uh but at the same time, like this song is like really important in the drag community and she's been very supportive of that and said like you know the song was partly inspired by drag performers. And and they actually go into that a little bit in the documentary oh, sure. as well. And um, God damn it. I'm forgetting his name. Who's the uh, current popular country artist who wears a mask with tassels off of it? I have no idea. Um, that's how that's how in the loop I am. Well, he's kind of he's kind of also Is crossover. this like a costume mask or a covid mask. It's, or a, both? it's a costume mask. OK. Um, and uh, Orville Peck. Okay, I have heard that name. He's great. Okay. And he's very out gay. And he recently did a, a duet with Shania. And he he's interviewed in the documentary and talks a lot about how this this was a big anthem for the gay community. Yeah. And, and is still just a song about letting your hair down and letting it all out and being yourself. So... I think that's where some of the crossover happened. But part of the thing that I also wanted to talk, to talk about is 40 million albums is, yeah. like I said, one in 10 people in the United States. Well, one in 10 people in the United States is not all women. This was clearly oh, yeah, being yeah. sold 
across across uh, sexes as well. So, yes, there are 16 tracks on the album. There there are other songs that can appeal to men. But like this had some major, major appeal. You had said uh, that this was not the song that you thought was the biggest song on the album. You said that don't impress me much, probably. Right. I think so. But but it's kind of, it's not like this like I think there were three like you know super mega hits from this album and and those two and you're still the one, you're still the one was the one that kind of internationally crossed over this song somehow even though it was huge never hit number one on the mainstream mm-hmm. or the country charts all right and yet because of what we talk about with karaoke and like the setting for it I think it's the song that you hear the most still to this day out of all yeah of them. I think you're right um. The other thing that they talk about, which I was thinking about a bit, is I felt like Shania Twain, after her fourth album, Up, kind of disappeared all of a sudden overnight. And I didn't know if, if like, musical popularity changed, if if Woodstock 99 ruined everything for they, everybody. They, like, closed the Canadian border. Closed, there, there you go. Um, <laughs> Woodstock 99 ruined Shania yes, like after, yes. <laughs> after like what she did she wasn't there she wasn't involved in anything but everybody blames everything on Woodstock 99 nowadays so that, yep, that's then it she, then she uh, was an organizer of the fire festival yep, yep. well first she lit fires at Woodstock 99 <laughs> right, not, then she was an organizer of the fire festival uh, <laughs> she developed or contracted Lyme disease from a tick in the early 2000s and lost her voice. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. And one of the most interesting parts of the documentary is she didn't sing for a long time and she convinced herself that her career was over and out of all people, Lionel Richie gets a hold of her. Nice. And says, I'm doing a country duets album and I refuse to put it out if you're not on it. And she said no, and then he called her again, and she said no, and then he called her and said... And and said, hello? Is it me you're looking for? And she still said no. Uh, And then he said, we can record wherever you want, and she picked a vacation spot and said, cool, we're recording in the Bahamas. Okay. And she shows up, and she's like, no, just kidding, we're not recording. Wow. And he brought an entire portable recording studio down there and said, we're not leaving until you record this. And I don't know the song, but... She sounds absolutely great on it. And Lionel Richie reignited her career. She started a residency in Vegas. She released another album and she is still popular to this day. That's amazing. Like a few weeks ago, I hurt my voice singing and had to take a little time off. And I have not gotten a call from Lionel yet. What? <laughs> I I don't know. Like, wait a minute. Did you know him you before? Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he got a new phone or something. <laughs> no, new phone. Who this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know him before, but I just figured like uh, you know a uh, like a beacon goes up like in the sky, <laughs> like someone someone needs a little duet. Let let me ask you inspiration. this: Have you been trying to um, get a hold of him by dancing on the ceiling? Oh, is that the secret? <laughs> like I have to, there's like a crank in my apartment that like turns it around so it looks like I'm dancing on the ceiling. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. I, right. I need to find find my secret crank. <laughs> um, uh, isn't it weird? That there are two huge hit songs that have the word prerogative in them. I don't think this song is a nod to my prerogative in any way. No, de- definitely, definitely not. And I don't think she was like, 
or Muttling was like, what word fits here? Um, let's look to Bobby Brown for some inspiration. Um, because I mean, obviously the original the original song, My Prerogative, like the the whole point of that song was like, can we put this funny, you know, unlikely word into a hit song, right? Maybe I think so. But then, but then for it to show up in this song, and so then of course I got on Genius.com and I was like, are there any other hit songs with prerogative in them? And there's like a bunch of rap songs that are clearly just referencing my prerogative, which is fine. The closest thing I could find is there's a song on uh, FKA Twig's album Magdalene. Um, the song Mary Magdalene uses the word prerogative and doesn't seem to be referencing either of these songs. And that's it. That's that's all I could find. Maybe our goal is to write a song together that uses the word prerogative. Yes, and make it sound like it's unrelated to any of those songs. How do we possibly do that? Uh, I don't know. Should we sample Bobby Brown's uh, Every Little Step? <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> um, one other thing about this song, the video. Yes. Oh, my God. So even when I was... Let's see. This came out in 1999. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I guess I was in college at that point, and I didn't see this video for a while because I was a poor college student and didn't have cable. I don't think I saw this video until like this week. Really? I'm pretty sure. I, I just wonder, like, if there was enough of a break between uh, Robert Palmer. Uh, simply irresistible in this that there were a bunch of people that didn't get what she was doing Robert Palmer I think did three singles with the same video pretty much right? like Addicted to Love Addicted is the exact to Love and uh, I Didn't Mean to Turn You On was the other one wow, maybe way, way to pull a rabbit um, out of your hat on that one because those those videos were great those like I love those 80s Robert Palmer singles so much. Oh, God. The songs are so great. My The the first cassette tape I ever owned was Heavy Nova by Robert Palmer. So good. It's it's still a great album, and I wish I still had that cassette tape from somewhere. <laughs> One of those nostalgic things. Yes, but okay, but it, for those who are not familiar, which probably everyone is, like Robert Palmer's videos were like he would be in front, like in a suit, uh, singing and like, you know, a bunch of, of like models behind him all with like uh, the same the same dress and like, you know, super red lipstick kind of swaying behind him. Um, and uh, and so and the Shania video is just like, you know, a gender swapped version of that. Not 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 to, exactly not to get into a, a what could be a really deep discussion. But do you think it's a little sexist that that those videos kind of imply that women this beautiful couldn't actually be his backing band that they're like. It's like, mm. oh, well, this is clearly a fake backing band because none of these women women could ever play these instruments well enough to play this song. I, I'm glad you raised this important current issue. <laughs> uh, From 1988. <laughs> in, I mean, in the Shania video, they give the, give the male models like guitars to pretend to play. No, right? th they do that in the Robert Palmer video, too. Oh, do they? Okay, yes, like that. They, they that, definitely that's do. That's not in my memory of it. Okay. And, and they do the same thing with the Shania video where it's like, these men are clearly too attractive and are clearly not playing their instruments at all. Um, do you ever do you ever meet someone? I had this happen the other day. Like, I don't want to get too too specific in case, uh, like, you know, he or someone else involved listens to the podcast. But like, I met I met a guy who's just like some guy who was like way too handsome to be just some guy. Like, and uh, again, like, 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 just like, some. <laughs> like, this is weird. Did you right? walk, and you didn't walk up to him and go. Who are you? No, because I I knew that he was not a movie star or model, um, and uh, and it was like 
I don't know. It had just happened sometimes. <laughs> May, maybe he was. May, maybe he would have been like, "You've seen me on billboards everywhere." Maybe, actually. maybe so. Uh, um, I guess. I guess what I'm, I'm just like repeating the the uh, Onion headline: uh, "Woman too hot to be riding this bus." <laughs> 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 Why is that so good? <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to add in just to add on to how insanely popular Shania Twain was. She is the only recording artist ever to record three diamond selling albums in a row, which diamond for anybody who doesn't know is 10 million or more copies of an album sold in the U.S. sold in the yeah. U.S. alone. That is Three in a row. That's insane. And I also want to give a shout out to my friend Jess Pacey, who's the one who suggested this song to us. That is how we decided on this song, actually. Oh, thanks, Jess. Um, and I don't know if she ever listens to our podcast, but if she does, thanks for this one. It was really interesting to take a deep dive into this career. Yeah, you know, it, this makes me want to, like, having that karaoke experience makes me want to, like, learn some of these, learn the lyrics to some of these songs so that I can, like, jump in next time someone wants to duet on one in karaoke. Because someone asked me, like, do you want to duet on Wagon Wheel? And I'm like, I do not know the lyrics to that song. I know, like, you know, the two lines from the chorus. Yeah, I definitely know the lyrics to that song. You don't know the lyrics to, like, Friends in Low Places? Um... Someone someone did that, and I found I knew like half of them. Yeah. So, well, the thing is, they're so patterned that I almost feel like it's actually a karaoke song where you could read along yeah, the lyrics without right. knowing the song very well. Okay. Uh, so, um, let me start here with what I listened to this month. All right. Which is a band called Cheek Face. <laughs> okay. Their album is just came out. Uh, last month i think and it's called too much to ask it's not their first album but this whole album is great um that being said it's kind of a joke it's that wet leg does humor belong in music style um you compared it to the bloodhound gang it's got a lot of bloodhound gang i don't think i I don't think it's like i get where you're coming from I think it's more catchy than Bloodhound Gang songs. Even I think Bloodhound Gang songs are pretty catchy. Yeah, they do have like over 100 million listens yeah. for the bad touch. But listen to uh, the song We Need a Bigger Dumpster. I did. What did you think? Um, I think it is like far enough over into the novelty side that I'm probably not going to listen to it multiple times, but I did enjoy it. I listened to it again this morning. I'll, and, I mean, I'll try it again. And I still have it stuck in my head right okay. now. It's because it, they keep repeating the lyrics over and right. over again, and it's really funny. And the, the funniest part to me is I actually discovered this band because they are playing them on KEXP, and it seems like it should be too funny to be played on like radio that people actually listen to. There's something funny in the, like in the chorus or pre-chorus where it like lists a bunch of like what if. Can you pull up the lyrics? Uh yeah, hold on a second. Uh Let's see. We need Cuz there's a lot of what ifs and then in the middle is like what if music caused hearing loss and I'm like but it does. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's see. Uh Doing improv 
coffee, juice, or tea. I only want to be with other people like me. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that chapstick causes chap lips and sunscreen causes sunburns and music causes hearing loss and bottled water makes you thirsty and I am just another dog watching another dog on TV. <laughs> yeah, I like how that's a list of like three things that aren't true and one thing that is true. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, the whole thing is really funny. I caught a cold. I coughed on all my friends. Now everyone is coughing on everybody else. <laughs> Great. All right. Uh, so that's cheek face. Too much to ask. Um, so it's the it's the month of indie, or it just was like built to spill. The Beths and the Pixies all have new albums out that uh, that are all great. But I want to talk about something that I I hope you know about Jake because if if actually I hope you don't because I think you're really going to enjoy it. If uh, and I want to be the one who introduced it to you. They are called Badge Epoch Ensemble. Nope. Uh, and uh, like like Shania Twain, they're from Canada. Uh, and they're kind of like an orchestral jazz pop band that's influenced by Japanese city pop and Jethro Tull, among many other things. Um, and just listen listen to the first track. Um, I think the I didn't write down the name of the album. I think it's called Clouds of Joy oh. that just came out. Uh, like it's really complex, like proggy music that also goes down really easy. Like you could put the album on, like and be like, hmm, "This which, is good," and which, then it's over. Let's be honest; the name of the band does not exactly make it sound like that. It makes it sound like it's going to be way out of reach of anybody. Who- oh yeah, no, it's a bad band name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as long as we agree on that. Yes, Badge Apoc Ensemble and uh, their flute player. They have great flute solos. Their flute player is Leo O'Brien of Blood Ceremony. Do you know Blood Ceremony? No. Oh my God, Jake, you would love Blood Ceremony. How do you find all these bands? Yes, it's called Clouds of Joy. Okay, so Clouds of Joy is great. Like you know, also I recommend like Blood Ceremony hasn't had a new album in like six years, but I still recommend them. You know, I'll also say I went and saw Interpol and Spoon on Friday night. Oh, nice. Um. Interpol's new album is pretty boring, and, okay. and they're unfortunately pretty boring live. And they let Spoon play before them, and Spoon are such a good live band, fantastic live. Like they, Britt Daniel has still got it. Like, yep. like that band was so fun to watch, and they should not be playing before Interpol. Ba- yeah. bad contrast. But like, what? This this is like a big question that we shouldn't open up at the at the end of the show. But uh, like you know, what is the thing that makes like one you know just rock band you know that doesn't have any pyrotechnics like give such a better show than than another rock band that doesn't have any pyrotechnics? Um, great stage presence, in my yeah. opinion. Like really great stage presence. I remember seeing Kings of Leon at a small club in Seattle in the mid two thousands before they exploded. And their bass player faced his amplifier the entire hour and a half they oh, played. Sure. And I was just like, I couldn't focus on anything else. I'm like, this is really bad. He's going to have to figure out how to do something else if they're going to get big. Oh, yeah. And apparently he did. Good work. Good work. Follow Will. <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> oh, have you watched the uh, Goose Live at Red Rocks? Were you at Goose Live at Red no, Rocks? No, I was okay. not. But I have I have watched it. It's great. They they are just a phenomenal band. But we we cannot keep recommending. Goose. I understand. All right. <laughs> uh, find us online at uh, hiddenjukebox.com, uh, Facebook.com/slash Hidden Jukebox, on Instagram at Jukebox Hidden, on all your favorite podcasting platforms where we would love a review. 
Um, anything else before before we let people go and and listen to the, uh, the band whose name they've already forgotten? Um, we've got a very interesting choice for next month, but I'm not going to say what it is yet. Oh, I don't think you, I don't think you've told me. Uh, yes, I have. I'll remind you after this. <laughs> okay, great. Until next time, I'm Jake Amster, and I'm Matthew Amster Burton.